Hey everyone, welcome to our Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast. I'm your host, Angie Miller, and I have a question for you to start this episode today. And that is, are you confused by all the myths and misconceptions about this calories in, calories out debate that we hear so much about? Well, if you are, I have a perfect episode and an amazing guest. His name is Danny Lennon. He is the founder of Sigma Nutrition, and he is the host of Sigma Nutrition Radio. He's going to talk about, give us some straight talk on energy balance and clear up a lot of the confusion. So, Danny, I'm going to bring you in and have you introduce yourself. Hey, Angie, thank you so much for the lovely introduction, and thanks for having me today. So I'll keep it brief for people. Like you said, I I run a company called Sigma Nutrition, and our goal is to put out evidence-based information about nutrition science and health science. And we do that through a few different means, primarily our, our podcast, Sigma Nutrition Radio, but also written articles, seminars, lectures, etc. And so over the years, we've tried to be I suppose that middleman between the academic research that's going on and then practitioners that are going to use that information. And so to try and explain some of that information and to get exactly what's going on in um, research into people's hands so they can practice in an evidence-based manner. Yeah, I love that, Danny, because I think that you just hit the nail on the head. And that is that we want the evidence-based research and we want to know their science to back it. But more importantly, we just want to know how to apply it in our everyday lives. And as trainers, we have to be able to pass that information on to our clients in palatable pieces so that our clients actually know how to apply proper nutrition practices to their daily home diet, right? Mm, right, exactly. And I think that's the biggest thing, that it's easy to swamp people with science and it's actually one of the things you see as a hallmark of people peddling pseudoscience is to use a lot of scientific language as a way to confuse people to make it sound like they they know what they're talking about whereas really i think what we want to do is how do we take good evidence and then explain that in a palatable way for the clients that uh, health and fitness professionals are going to be working with yeah, absolutely. And you know what, Danny, I have to tell you what's not palatable. Speaking of that word, I just did a backpacking excursion and I ate a lot of freeze-dried meals and I don't find those very palatable. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't so, sound too much. <laughs> and a lot of sodium too. So you know what, Danny, you're going to be awesome to listen to because I think you're coming to us from Ireland. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, I'm currently in Ireland. And um, yeah, so hopefully people can understand me. <laughs> Oh no, it's a, it's a great, it's a great accent and uh, you're on my bucket list for places to visit. So, okay. So let's deep dive. Can you just go ahead and just start off by explaining energy balance? Just give us the, the lowdown on what is the energy balance and how come there this whole calories in calories out confusion? Sure. So as the name energy balance suggests, it's the balance between energy coming into a system and energy leaving a system. And of course, we're talking here about the human body. So the energy coming in versus the energy going out, and that will tell us the energy balance. And so when we refer to the energy balance equation, this is actually something probably everyone has actually heard of. This is when we're talking about calories in versus calories out, because the calories that we consume via the diet 
is the energy in part. And then the calories we burn through a variety of means is the energy out. That's our energy expenditure. So the energy in or the calories in is actually quite straightforward. This is the calorie content of the food that we consume. And of course, we have different macronutrients like protein, carbohydrate, and fat. But overall, we have a calorie content of the foods that we consume, and that's the energy in part. The energy expenditure or calories out is a bit more complex. There's a few different layers to this that, that I'll maybe outline, but we can certainly go back over them. So we have something called our resting metabolic rate. So this is essentially how many calories do you burn just to survive or just to function. So when we are asleep, we are still burning and using calories to keep our organs functioning. So we have a, a resting metabolic rate. On top of that, we have something called the thermic effect of feeding, which just simply means how many calories do we burn to actually digest food. So when we consume a meal, we actually use up some energy to start digesting and processing that. Then we have the parts of energy expenditure related to movement. So we can have, of course, physical activity, and this is the most obvious one. When we do exercise or go for a walk or a run, we are burning energy. We are burning calories to do that. But there's also this other component called non-exercise activity thermogenesis, or we call that NEAT for short, which is movements we might do throughout the day that we don't actually count as, say, physical activity. It might be slight movements you're doing around the room. It might be fidgeting. It might be these kind of subconscious movements that we don't really notice, but do add up and we still use energy. So when we add those four things together, that's our total energy expenditure. And energy expenditure just means calories out. And so to bring all that together, when we talk about energy balance or the energy balance equation, we're asking what is the difference between the calories coming in and the calories going out? And when we know that, we can have a kind of prediction over what that might do to our body composition. And I think that's where most of the conversation uh, starts to get interesting, but we can certainly dive into that. But from an overview level, energy balance equation is just this energy input versus energy expenditure or calories coming in versus calories going out. Yeah, and I love that in it because it seems like simple math, but it's actually not a matter of simple math. And I feel like that's where the confusion comes in. And so just to do a quick recap, the calories in we all know about, it's whatever we whatever food we consume, that's kind of an easy one, but it's not as simple as just how many calories are in the food that we consume. And like you said, we'll deep dive into that. But when we're talking about an energy expenditure, I heard you say there's four components. We're talking about a resting metabolic rate. We're talking about the thermic effect of feeding, which is kind of our digestion. We're talking about movement and inactivity. We're talking about non-exercise activity, like, um, and then we're talking about NEAT. And you had mentioned like those who are fidgety, that type of thing. And I find that kind of funny because I'm I'm real fidgety. And so I always have to work on that. So did I do a, a good synopsis or did I miss anything there? No, absolutely perfect. Yeah, you nailed it. Okay, perfect. So let's go into something then, because really, I think that that's where the confusion lies is um, 
we all grow up and we hear this calories in calories out. And by the way, I want to reintroduce you, Danny, I'm talking to Danny Lennon. He's the founder of Sigma nutrition and he's the host of Sigma nutrition radio. I think that he is just like a, dic a, a dictionary of information. I love to learn from you, Danny. So I'm glad you're on here, but we're talking about the energy balance and the confusion on calories in calories out. So going back to that, um, it's not as simple as calories in calories out. If you had to give us a one, two, three on why it's not that simple, um, could you do that and maybe take For it sure. one at a time? For sure. And I think people often see conflicting messages and I'm sure they've came across articles of saying why energy balance is nonsense or forget about calories in, calories out. And I think that stems from a misconception about what we're actually saying here in that people are trying to maybe frame it as a simple input output method like a machine. And like you said, it's not simple as like an input output calculation of we know how many calories you consume and then we calculate how many calories you burn and then we can predict everything perfectly from that. Mm -hmm. Instead, there's a few things that make it a bit more complex. Probably one of the most important things to realize is that the calories we consume influence the calories going out or the energy expenditure. So in other words, one of the best examples of this is if you have someone that starts dieting and they reduce their caloric intake, let's say they decrease their calorie intake by 500 calories per day, then their calories out or their energy expenditure doesn't just stay the exact same as it always was, as we might presume. We actually get a decrease in energy expenditure that happens without people actually often realizing. And a lot of this drop comes from that change in that non-exercise activity thermogenesis that I mentioned. So those subconscious movements we're not aware of, we actually just end up doing a bit less of those, particularly the longer someone continues to diet or the larger that their calorie reduction has been. And so calorie- Is that, can I ask you a quick question? For sure. Is that, does that translate because they have less energy or I'm sure it's not that simple? So this is one of the things that we refer to as a, a metabolic adaptation. So in other words, this is just a normal adaptation by the body because it's perceiving that there's less energy coming in. So I'm going to turn down some of the things I spend this energy on so I can save some energy, right? So the body has this signal that it knows there's less energy coming in than it needs to maintain its normal function and its normal body mass. So it's like a protective mechanism. It says, you know what, you're not feeding me as much. So I'm going to protect you and I'm not going to allow you to overexpend energy and just go into, you know, complete exhaustion. Exactly right. So it's, it's a protective mechanism that we would have evolved to have that we have these adaptations because we don't want to be chronically under eating less than we need indefinitely. So one way to kind of prevent that is well, I can turn down some of these things I usually use up energy on. Now, of course, it doesn't completely wipe out that 500 calorie reduction. That's why someone can continue to lose body weight, but there will be some drop in energy expenditure. Um, and in fact, there's some extreme examples that we could point to of if someone's gone through a very long diet and maybe they've lost a, a lot of body weight or they've got very lean or have been on low calories for a long period of time, they might report something like that they have cold limbs, their hands and feet are colder. And that might be uh, actually one of those adaptations to kind of reduce uh, body heat production, particularly to limbs where it's not as important. We also know in extreme cases, if uh, 
females have been on a very low calorie diet for a long period of time, that's much too low. One of those adaptations is actually the loss of the menstrual cycle. So amenorrhea, we call that. And again, that's the same thing. This is just a more extreme version of one of those adaptations that the body is doing to try and save uh, calories. Now, of course, on a shorter time frame and in a well-controlled diet, we can avoid some of these things, but we will see some change in energy expenditure. So all we're saying here is that the calories in influences calories out. And so when you change uh, one of them, you're going to change the other. So when you change your calorie intake, there will be some knock-on effect on energy expenditure. So it's not a perfect predictive model that we can type into a calculator and know exactly what is going to happen over the next eight weeks when we reduce our calorie intake by, let's say, 500. We can't get exactly how much body weight change someone is going to get um, or what that's going to end up doing to that individual because there's this variation in how they may respond, if that makes yeah. sense. I love the way you explain that because it's so true because it isn't a simple equation and they do go together. They are like a couple. And so if you reduce one, then it's going to impact the other one. Perfect. So you said you were going to give us a one, two, three, or maybe a one, two, what would be the second influence or what would be the second reason why the equation isn't so simple? So the other, other part that I think um, gets wrapped up in some of the confusion where people will say again, well, this calories in, calories out, or energy balance, this can't be accurate, right? Because then you're just saying that if I eat 2,000 calories of uh, sugar, it's the same thing as 2,000 calories of steak, and that's obviously nonsense. And again, that's a, a straw man position of what we're saying. We're certainly not saying that. We're certainly not saying food choices don't matter. In fact, we know the macronutrients within the diet do matter. The specific foods we pick matter. Um, and there's a, a number of reasons for that. So we are not saying the only thing that matters is calories. In fact, a whole host of things do. All we're saying is that the changes in these are predictive of what might happen with someone's body weight. And, and by that, let me make that more specific. If someone's goal is to lose fat mass, so to lose body fat through dieting, they need to create a caloric deficit. A caloric deficit is when we have more energy being burned or expended than is coming in through the diet. So there's more being used up than is being consumed in the diet. So in that case, that would be a calorie deficit. And that's what is needed in order for body weight loss and, and fat mass loss specifically to occur. So in other words, you can pick whatever foods you want and whatever supplements you want, do whatever exercise you want. If someone is simply eating too many calories and they're in a calorie surplus or even at calorie balance, so they're not in a deficit, then fat mass loss is not going to happen. So we need this calorie deficit in order for fat mass loss to occur. So we know this is this um, predictive value of energy balance that I've been talking about. But what we're not saying is that the only thing that matters is calories and that's the only thing you should care about or that everyone needs to count calories, or even if we need, we don't even need to mention calories. We're just saying that in order for this to happen, physiologically, there needs to be a calorie deficit. So more calories being used up than being consumed. So I think that's a, another one of those examples where there's quite a bit of confusion. 
Yeah, I think so too. I, I couldn't agree more. And so again, I'm talking to Danny Lennon and he owns Sigma Nutrition and he's the host of Sigma Nutrition Radio. We're talking about calories in and calories out and all the confusion about energy balance. And so Danny, what you're saying is that, you know, energy balance is is not as simple as calories in, calories out. You know, if you want to lose one pound a week, then you need to devastate your calories by X. Because you're saying that the calories we consume definitely influence the calories we expend. And so there's there's a lot more into this equation than meets the eye. And also the macronutrients in our food matter. And so this is this is all great stuff. And I think that you're really helping to kind of simplify the equation. But also really what I hear here is that all of us, when it comes to proper nutrition and fat loss and I, I don't like the word diet, but, you know, mm. nutritional guidance, we really need to turn to good resources because there is a lot of confusion out there on how we all get to where we want to be. So would you say anything else, any big ones? Because I want to move into this. Why is it an issue to count calories? Because this mm. is such a big trigger for me is all these people who talk about counting calories, counting calories. But is there anything else you want to say about this before I move on to that question? Because that's a hot button for mm. me. Yeah, I think there's one thing I would add, and it's actually off the back of something really important that you just uh, mentioned, Angie, and, and that was around when we see these changes in energy expenditure, when we drop someone's calories, we can't always perfectly predict what that's going to do to their body weight. And there's one important aspect to this in that we know there's an inter-individual variation in this response. In other words, that means between different people, based on their genetics, when we drop their calories by a certain amount, how much their energy expenditure drops is also different. And so you could have, and this is really practical for coaches, and it's useful for them to be able to explain because you could have two clients that on the surface maybe are very similar. They come with very similar um, contexts and starting uh, body compositions, same type of workouts, same kind of demographics. Maybe they usually maintain their body weight on the same number of calories. And now if both of those clients were to drop their intake by the same amount, we could have a situation because of this variation based on genetics that for one of them, their energy expenditure only drops a small bit. And so they are actually in quite a large calorie deficit because they've dropped a lot of their calorie intake and their energy expenditure has only dropped a small amount. For the other person, they dropped their calories by the same amount, but they could get a larger decrease in their energy expenditure. And so what this, does this mean? It means the actual deficit those two people are in is different. One is larger than the other. And so therefore, the rate of weight loss, or more specifically, the rate of fat loss those two people are going to see is going to be different. And so now if they're trying to compare of like, oh, well, we did the same thing. We're eating the same amount of food. But why why is this happening and uh, to me and I'm not losing as fast as someone else? Now we actually have a reason of like, look, this is just unfortunately, there are differences and we shouldn't compare to other people. We need to look at your own context and uh, not worry about what someone else's response is and it's also useful for coaches to realize that they're not necessarily doing anything wrong if there's these differences that pop up and so that would be one example of how intake influences expenditure but it does so in a different manner based on the individual 
Yeah, I love that inter-individual variation. I'll let that genetics play a key role. And I think you're right because coaches could easily become frustrated thinking that this equation worked in a prior client. And also, you know, we all know that we are a comparison-oriented society. So how come my best friend had this, this result and I did not? So I'm really glad that you explained that and you talked about the role of genetics and you're talking about energy balance and how this inter-individual variation plays a role. So thank you for clarifying that. So Danny, I have to ask you if you're ready for this one, drum roll, mm. please. <laughs> Why is it an issue to count calories? Because it just seems to be such a big thing. It's so perpetuated in our society. Just count calories, count calories. I tell you what, anytime in my life that I've ever counted calories, all I want to do is eat more because I'm hyper-focused on everything that's going in my mouth. <laughs> Right. And then the funniest thing is I may not even be hungry, but if the app says that I have calories left, I still eat. Yeah. I, I think it's slippery slope. So tell us about that. Yeah. So this is a, one of those interesting points because sometimes uh, we can mention like, like we have so far that the energy balance equation exists. It, it is correct. Um, and that indeed we do need to change someone's energy balance or their calorie intake and or expenditure if they have goals that relate to body composition let's say either losing fat mass or building muscle mass we will typically give recommendations that would lead to them having a calorie deficit or or a calorie surplus and so those things are absolutely true calories do matter uh, energy balance does hold up it is a correct equation but some of them, the criticisms people have is, well, so does that mean you're just telling everyone to count calories? It's like, no, uh, we're saying nothing about what interventions someone should use or what tactics they need to use. Counting calories or tracking macronutrients in an app is one strategy. It's one intervention that some people find very useful, some people find benefit from, but many others don't find benefit from, or it actually in a number of cases can be contraindicated, can actually be problematic. Like you say, for uh, there are lots of people who will either find that they become too food focused, that they become too obsessed with the calorie content of all the foods, as opposed to thinking about overall eating healthy. Some people may be hyper-focused on changes they're seeing in body weight when they're tracking all this stuff. And so it for some people, it can be a good intervention. For others, it might not be. For some people, it might be useful for a short period of time. Like if they do it for two or three weeks, now they've brought awareness to, oh, this meal I was typically consuming actually has a lot more calories than I realized. Now I can make these slight changes to the ingredients or the portion size, and now I'll be better off. And then after that two or three weeks, they might not need to do it again. So there is kind of these nuances of when it can be used or who it can be used with. But saying that energy balance is correct or that calories in, calories out is correct or that we need a calorie deficit for fat loss, for example, all of those things are true whilst at the same time we're not saying that everyone needs to count calories or everyone needs to track calories. It's just one potential intervention out of a whole lot of others. So what we're uh, therefore saying is that if someone does use something else where they don't, let's say, track calories or count calories, of course they can still eat an overall healthy diet and, and they can be perfectly healthy. Or even if their goal is to lose uh, body weight or, or fat mass, they can do that through other strategies that don't even think about calories. But underneath that, physiologically what's going on is they are in a calorie deficit. So whether they've yeah. moved to a low carb diet or a vegetarian diet or they're doing intermittent fasting, whatever they're doing, if they are starting to lose fat mass consistently week on week, 
It just means that that change has led to them eating in a calorie deficit, even though they're not specifically counting them. So no, you don't need to count them. It's just one option. Um, and uh, that is not the same thing as saying energy balance still holds true. Yeah, well, and I'm really glad. Thank you so much for giving that a little bit more sound advice and education because it's just more of a personal um, a personal place where I was coming from in the counting calories. But I will say one thing, and, and you kind of touched on it, where counting calories has worked for me as far as <clears throat> I've used apps before and what it has really done is enlighten me to the, I'll say the quality of food that I'm consuming. So sometimes when you use apps and you plug in all those numbers and you plug in the percent of sugar and um, saturated fat and what have you, you really um, come face to face with the quality of food you're consuming. And I really think that that's what you just explained in the most scientific way is that it's not as simple as saying, okay, energy balance is as simple as calories in, calories out. So what I want you to do is get a food app. I want you to track your calories and create a calorie deficit. Boom, you're done. And so thank you for really touching on that. I don't know that I could do um, a recap of that as well as you did it, but I love what you're saying. No one is saying don't count calories. We're saying that once again, it's just not that simple. Right, exactly. And you also mentioned a really important point around food quality. And I'm sure every trainer will, will notice this, that when you look at anyone in the general population, from all the statistics we have, uh, we know that the vast majority of people, uh, and there's actually relatively new data uh, for the US population right now, where we can see 85% of adults in the US are under consuming fruit and vegetable rel relative to the dietary guidelines. You have almost 95 to 97% of men in the US under consuming dietary fiber. I think it's about 90% for uh, women in the US. And so you have these distinct nutrients and food groups where we know on average, most people in the population are not getting enough of. And so if we were just to counsel people on changing their overall dietary pattern to healthier uh, patterns, so can you include more fruit and veg? Can we get good sources of fiber in the diet here? Can we make sure if they're consuming animal products, it's leaner cuts of meat as opposed to fattier cuts of meat? Um, can we keep the amount of ultra processed foods to lower intakes and focus most of the diet on minimally processed or whole foods. Those general changes, one of the things that does is not only impacts health uh, beneficial, but if you take the uh, quality of the average person's diet and then make some of these changes, oftentimes by nature, the calorie intake is going to drop. Why? Because you're now eating more fiber. You're probably eating more protein. You have a lower calorie density, meaning that for a volume of food on your plate, there's less calories in it, right? So if, if you think of a large, massive salad, it's, it takes up a lot of volume, but there's relatively little calories. And so all of these changes in turn will probably lead to that person consuming less calories, but we've never told them about the word calorie at all. So uh, people have seen this change happen. So like you said, this is why it's not just about calories. And in fact, making those changes can lead to someone reducing their calorie intake without even thinking about it. But also second, even if they were counting their calories, making all those healthful changes actually makes it easier to stick to that lower calorie intake because more fiber, more protein, more vegetables actually leads to more satiety or that feeling of fullness and satiation, that's fullness during a meal. And so therefore it's gonna be easier for people to be able to stick to that calorie intake or consume less overall. So that's a really important point that you raise. 
Um, you know, and I, there's a word that I heard there and you didn't, I don't know that you specifically said it, but I, I'm really, um, I love this because really what I hear you say is, Hey, Angie, what do you need to add to your diet to make your diet healthier? Because we're always talking about what our clients need to take away or get rid of. And I talk about this a lot in motivational interviewing, and it's, it's also ties into positive psychology is None of us want to feel like we're being deprived. We don't want to feel like we're going to go to a nutritionist or a trainer and they're going to give us this one, two, three TikTok list of everything we need to let go of in our lives. But what you're really saying in a nutshell is, look, here's some things that you could add to your diet to make your diet healthier, which is going to make you feel more satiated. You're going to feel fuller. And therefore, the other things are going to naturally drop off because you're going to recognize, hey, wow, this actually tastes really delicious. And if I give my body time to respond, I recognize that I'm actually quite full and I don't need some of those other unhealthier things that I was adding to my diet. Do you think that that's kind of in a nutshell what you were saying? Yeah, absolutely perfect. And I think if we took an extreme example, we could show people that if someone's current diet, let's say, was just uh, something that just come up with the most uh, worst example we could think of, whether only drinking- Snickers bars. <laughs> right, Snickers bars, uh, sugar sweetened beverages like cola all day and like big tubs of ice cream. And that's all they were consuming. Now, if we were only focused on calories and said to them, okay, uh, count the calories in those. Now I want you to cut that food intake in half, but stay eating those foods. That would be still really difficult because you'd be right. really hungry, right? And you have these really hyper palatable foods that are enjoyable to eat. And that becomes very difficult. Now, if we start saying, like, uh, as you suggested, hey, um, we noticed there's not much uh, fruit and vegetables in here. Can we maybe pick a few fruit and veg that you might enjoy or that you think you might like? And maybe we'll play around with different ways to cook them and we'll add them into the diet. Or could we maybe try and add a, a high quality protein source at each of your main meals and see how you feel? And there, through those changes, you're probably going to not only improve the quality of their overall uh, diet, but you're probably actually going to influence their overall energy or, or calorie intake and, and decrease that without telling them, hey, you've got to restrict. They're just going to feel fuller and more satiated. Yeah, I love that. So you know what? Uh, once again, I'm talking to Danny Lennon and uh, Danny is the founder of Sigma Nutrition. He also hosts a um, the host of Sigma Nutrition Radio. We're talking about calories in, calories out and all that confusion on energy balance. And what we really just talked about was adding rather than, than depriving. How to help us all eat healthier by what can we add to our diet to make us feel more satiated so that we crave less those things that really don't do anything for us um, and help us to create a better equation and feel better inside and out. So Danny, I do have one last question for you. Um, you had mentioned that uh, in an article that I read by you, which I thought was amazing, you had talked about eating less than moving more and why sometimes that can be unhelpful advice. Can you give us just a, a kind of a, quick your quick insight on that one yeah for sure this is so important because uh, again the presumption people might jump to is well if we're talking about energy balance or we're saying this calories in calories out thing is actually correct does that mean you're just telling people to eat less and move more and in theory if someone eats less food and uh, in terms of overall calorie intake and does more activity then of course they're changing that energy balance and that may have this impact but it's actually not that useful advice right if you were if someone's coming to you as a coaching client 
and they want to know, well, how do I make uh, body composition change? How do I lose body weight? How do I lose body fat? And you just tell them, well, eat less, move more. It's just, it's not actionable, right? One, they don't know where to start. First, it starts from that place of deprivation, as we've just said. It just means, well, I kind of guess I'll stay eating what I'm doing, but just eat less. Or maybe I have to cut out foods I enjoy eating or like just eat less and try and do this based on willpower and, and hunger. And then I'll just try and do more activity. And maybe it might even be a type that they don't enjoy. And so it's might, it's not very actionable. It doesn't give them any of the tools to do that because what we actually want to do in order for them to be able to stick to that is the most important thing. That will come down to, well, what food choices will allow them to eat at a level of calories that is appropriate? Because as we've just shown in that uh, extreme example a moment ago, the types of food someone picks is going to influence how satiated and full they feel throughout the day, can they keep their hunger lower, and how likely it is they're going to be able to stick to this level of calories. We also know there's all the things around behavior change of actually mm -hmm. that's such a huge component for all fitness professionals that we know that of actually knowing what uh, overall diet we'd ideally or overall nutrition pattern we'd like someone to follow or what exercise program might be useful for them is one small part of the puzzle. The rest is how do we get people to actually do this and actually stick to it? And so there's all this behavior change component that we have to layer in. And then we have to understand, well, what is driving people's food consumption? So we know the modern food environment, exam, uh, for example, is a huge thing. We've got um, really hyper palatable, so really pleasurable foods to the brain that are very calorie dense, but are also very cheap and very convenient to get hold of pretty much at any time. You can take out your phone right now and probably get any food that you want within the next 10 minutes through an app delivered to your door without having to move. And so it's incredibly easy to get hold of very cheap, tasty, hyper palatable, calorie dense foods. And so that food environment is also something that influences someone's eating behavior because we can't just rely on willpower all the time. And so we can suggest changes of like what foods they may keep in their home, how they set up their workspace and what foods are visible because we know that influences things. Mm -hmm. We could change and, and their, how like, they set up their pantry, right? Like what's 100%. at eye level. This is why, you know, um, big companies fight for shelf space in the grocery store because whatever is at eye level is what draws the consumer, right? Exactly. We have this idea of, of choice architecture and, and, and what people can see, like you say, like there's some really good uh, research done where you um, where they've redesigned certain canteens in, in workspaces and different organizations and what is at eye level or what is most visible or what is most um, uh frequently seen within the canteen people will consume more of without even noticing whether you swap mm -hmm. water in for sodas for example or fruits and vegetables instead of chocolate bars and you just change their positioning it changes people's um choices so not all of these things are predetermined uh willful choices we're making most a lot of the things that we're doing with our behaviors are kind of automated and so yeah. we need to factor in all of these things so simply telling someone hey eat less and move more is just it's not actionable it's not practical um, it doesn't give them any of the skills that are useful to do that um, it doesn't take care of any of those barriers that may be in their way it's not trying to look at for this individual why is it difficult to eat a healthful diet is it um they don't know which foods they be consuming a lot of people actually do know that 
Is it something that they don't have access to those? Is it because of their work schedule? Is it because they have a certain habit or certain peer groups that are influencing food choices? Like, what is it? Because when we change those, that has an impact. Um, in the same way, if it's their sleep, maybe if someone's right. sleep deprived all the time, that changes their food choices. There's so many of these factors. And in reality, they're the things that coaches will work on with their clients over time. That's why it takes a lot of time, but it's really about lifestyle change. That's why we keep talking about long-term lifestyle change, because they're the things they're actually going to allow someone to eat a healthy dietary pattern over the long term, not just saying, hey, go and eat less. Yeah. So, you know what, Danny, I love all that. I think that how you just explained that, I'm so glad that I asked that question because I love everything you said. And I'm going to steal your choice architecture. I've written that down. I absolutely think that is classic. So choice architecture, it's the way that our pantry is designed. It's the way our workspace is designed. Um, so what we, what the question was that I asked Danny was, why do you think eat less and move more isn't the full story? Okay. And so Danny, what I heard you say was, well, it's the quality of food. Once again, it's the quality of food. What can we add to make the quality of our food better? Um, it's also behavior change because we know that it's one thing to tell people to eat less, move more, but what about all the things that come in into play as far as behavior change? We have to teach our clients good behavior modification. Um, you also talked about the motivation or the driver to consume certain foods. And that's where the choice architecture came in. You know, at the end of the day, if the foods are available, we're probably going to consume them. And so it sounds really simple to tell people, we'll just don't buy chips. But how about, how about if you buy more of this or more of that? And then the last thing that I heard you talk about was sleep. And uh, coming from a personal standpoint, the more sleep deprived I am, I eat like a bear when I'm when I'm really tired. And so I'm looking for anything to keep me awake. So I think that you explained that really well. And you know, this I've been talking to Danny Len, and we've been talking about energy balance. And uh, if you're, you know, you want to recap this, Danny is the founder of Sigma Nutrition. He is also the host of Sigma Nutrition Radio. Danny, I cannot uh, tell you how happy I am that you came on and kind of cleared up some of this confusion and gave us um, some really sound advice and insight. Before we go, is there anything left that you're thinking I really need to get this out there, Angie, or do you think we're pretty good where we're at? Uh, the only thing I can think of that maybe I didn't mention with the kind of eat less, move more is that one of the problems with that kind of rhetoric is that it pushes things very much to a personal responsibility. That if someone isn't consuming a healthful diet or isn't in uh, the, the shape they want right now, it's solely their problem. They're doing something wrong. They don't have the willpower to restrict their food intake. And as we've just discussed, there's a whole host of factors that could explain that from their food environment to their typical behaviors, even to socioeconomics. And, and we know there's some fascinating stuff of the access to different foods based on, on different demographics. So there's many Absolutely. of these things it, that- shames people, right? I'm sorry. It shames yeah. people. And, and right. we assume that it's that easy, but it's not. Sorry. You, you were just going into that socioeconomic thing. And, and we all know that, a, you know, six bags of chips is cheaper than probably, um, you know, a pound of apples. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there's reasons why people make certain food choices. And, and for example, we can look at, at data where in certain socially deprived areas, it actually doesn't make economic sense to buy lots of fruit 
uh, uh, fresh fruit and vegetables because the risk of them going off has a real cost because of budgetary concerns. And so uh, there's also, if you look at the density of fast food restaurants, for example, you can map this by certain areas and you get a higher density in more socially deprived areas. And then we're going around telling people, oh, just have willpower and, and restrict your intake. It, when it's not as simple as that, there are many other barriers. And, and socioeconomics is, is just one. Um, but the, the larger point uh, that we can make is that it's it's not something that we, like you say, should shame people of. This is a 100% personal responsibility. And if you can't stick to it and you can't eat less, it's it's your fault. Well, it's like, no, there's lots of things. And that's why we work on all this behavior change stuff and this food environment stuff and this support that we should give as fitness professionals to our client. There's a reason why we do all those things instead of just saying, here's the foods you should eat. Now go and do that, you know, because that doesn't yeah. work. You know, and what I heard you say there, Danny, what, what, what really comes to my mind is meet your clients where they're at understand their lifestyle, understand their obstacles, and meet them where they're at with a whole load of empathy so that you can have a better understanding of what they're trying to manage and therefore you can better guide them based on that. So Danny, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you to our NASM and APA audience. I really hope that this was as insightful and inviting for all of you as it was for me. So I know that Danny's got a session at Optima. I've got a session at Optima, so you can catch us there. So I hope you all have a great week. Thanks again, Danny. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. Mm -hmm.